As we go into a season of hope, I pray that that would be something that's evident on our mind, Lord. You are wonderful. You are great to us. For a season that is full of joy, a time that you came, a time that you decided to pour your love out for us by sacrificing yourself for us. This is the beginning of that, Jesus. We thank you for that, Father. Lord, I pray that this Christmas season that we would have hope our life would be filled with hope and joy. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys may have a seat.
I think it's a really amazing song. Uh, I, I love um, how they put it together, but it does raise the question, how do you find peace in the violence? I spent some time thinking about that. I, I came up with a couple really fast. I'm sure there are other ways, but um, one of them that we do quite a bit. We find ourselves in a difficult situation or circumstance, and we tell ourselves, we deserve this. Can't do any better. Why try? And so you make peace with that miserable place, and you sit in silence, and you just absorb it in. Now, now the other option is, despite the violence, despite how you felt like giving up and not trying, despite all of that, you still find a sense of peace. Now, if you're paying close attention in this song, they opted for number one. And they started kind of detailing out all the stuff that was happening in their life where they had just kind of felt like, man, I've been trying, and now I'm just going to start giving up. There was a line in the song that caught my attention um, that made my heart stop a little bit. He said, love never gave me a home, so I'll sit here in the silence. When you think about that thought, um, what he's suggesting is, I, I longed for love. I longed for a place where I would be cared for, where somebody would understand me, somebody would under, uh, accept me, because that's what we do with our homes, right? And they never found that. And instead of fighting for it, they just decided, I'm just going to sit here and just take it. I'm just going to, in the silence, absorb that I've not found a place where I could be truly loved. I, I thought about um, this a lot this week, and I wondered about your stories. I, I wondered if um, some of you would sit here this morning as you reflected on your life, and you'd feel like um, this was telling a tale about you, that you, you could think back and think through um, your situation, and maybe you feel robbed from having a home, and there's a lot of reasons that could happen. And maybe you sought attention from dad when you were younger, and it never came. And the home that you thought you would have, you never experienced. Maybe your home experienced a divorce, and it had some big consequences for your life. Uh, maybe, maybe you never felt, maybe it was you, maybe it was them, but for you it felt as real as it could be. You felt like your parents didn't love you the way you needed and the home that you longed for was out of reach. Or, or maybe some of you had a sibling that you were compared alongside every time and you came up short. They were always smarter, always more athletic, always more than you. And you ended up thinking, I've drawn the short end of this stick, been robbed of a home. The, the question is, if, if you start feeling that way and it kind of follows you into your life, can you ever get over it? Are you trapped by that? If you feel like your deck has been stacked against you, can you ever overcome that? It's what we've been looking at the last few weeks because when Jesus was born, he was born against a deck that was stacked. And, and we've talked about the different decks that he found that were against him. He was born into the Roman Empire at a time where spiritually it was chaos. The emperor himself was declaring himself to be the son of God who brought peace to earth. 
and was creating a mess, encouraging people to worship all kinds of other gods. Terrible time for Jesus to come, and yet he stepped into that chaos. He stepped into the chaos of the world being on fire. There was a census. There would have been violence, and people would have been angry and upset looking for a Messiah, but not him. They wanted a Messiah that would cause a political uprising. And so he was born into that, and his message would have been far more difficult to hear. But there was another place of chaos that Jesus was born into that I think sometimes we discount. In fact, I, if I were being honest with you, I think the times I've talked with people, it feels to me like we just kind of discount Jesus' story altogether. I mean, he was God, and he came to earth. He has all the advantages of being God on earth. But you never consider almighty creator of the universe in communion with God the Father, God the Spirit, right? He, he's got a world where everything is perfect, where everything is just, where everything is good, and he gives all of that up to come and spend it with us. And there was another place that we kind of miss where he ex experienced a deep level of chaos, and I think the Christmas story reveals it. Now, um, we're going to have to put it together in pieces. I'm going to read a section of scripture here, and each piece is going to make sense. Um, so it's going to take us a little while to get there. But as we read, I want you to follow along, and we'll put each piece together, and we'll see where we go. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 4, we get this um, about uh, the Christmas story. This is happening with Joseph and Mary. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. To Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. Now, we know why this is happening. There was a census called. So he's going to have to go and spend some time at home with his relatives. Somebody's going to come and inspect the land. They're going to be given a big tax bill. It's going to be miserable. It's going to be awful. But it's his side of the family, not hers. And the journey alone would have been daunting. Now, we, we have this really romantic picture of what happened on the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, right? Let me show you what we think, right? Oh, isn't that so nice? <laughs> Except we know it didn't happen this way. Now, maybe there was a donkey. We're not really sure. The scriptures don't mention it. But here's what we do know. That is not how men and women in Jesus' time traveled. What they did was they would meet at the city that you were going to travel from in the morning. And a group of guys would go out together. And after there was a... A distance between the two that was significant, then the group of ladies would go out, and you would travel in packs, and you would travel to your next stay, like wherever town you were going to stop at, you would stop there, and you would be done for the day. Now, um, basically, you would be traveling with strangers. Maybe as they got closer to Bethlehem, you might have started picking up a few relatives that Joseph would have had, because they were all migrating that sort of way. But you're traveling with a group of people that you didn't know, and this would not have gone well for Mary. We, we know this, and I'll, I'll show it to you soon. But, um, so we know it's going to be a tough thing, but it's also a long and difficult journey. Let me show you the map of where they had to travel. Um, so they started all the way up at Nazareth. They came down, and then they veer over. Why do they veer over? That's all mountains there. They're trying to avoid that as much as possible. So they go all the way down to Jericho, and then they, they that's a, a major climb. That, that is thousands of feet. You're working really hard. She's pregnant. 
none of this is easy. This would have taken eight to 10 days of walking. Now you throw a Sabbath in there and you throw a pregnant woman in there. I don't know how long that takes, right? Maybe a couple weeks of, of walking, pounding out some miles, and you finally get to Bethlehem. But all along the journey, she's going to end up being very, very lonely. And I want to show you why. It shows up in the next verse. This is in verse 5. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Right there, we see the problem. Mary was pledged to be married, but she wasn't, she wasn't married yet. And she was obviously pregnant. Now, this would have caused major problems in their culture. There are two options. Either Joseph was the dad and hadn't followed through and gotten married yet, which would have been bizarre, unheard of. He, he would have gotten married right away if that was the situation. Or the second option, everybody it would have dawned on them. Joseph is an honorable man, and he had agreed to marry this woman, and then she got pregnant, and instead of backing out on his honorable word, he's going to marry her anyway, and they would have treated her as a dishonorable woman. And all along that journey, at every village they stopped at, there would have been gossip that would have spread about that woman and her condition and the fact that she is not married to this guy up here. And they would, they would have treated her like trash. Now maybe, maybe it gets better when she finally gets to Bethlehem, right? But this journey, this journey would have been rough. There's no hiding the situation, and it's very clear they're still not married. So here, here we go. Um, they finally make it to Bethlehem, verse 6. While they were there, we don't know how long they were there. Remember, this is a census. Somebody has to come, inspect your land with you, walk it with you, do all of that. This stuff could take time. They could have been there one month, two months. We really don't know. But she was um, pretty far along uh, in pregnancy because this wouldn't have been a, like a six-month thing. Um, so everybody knows that she's pregnant, and here's what it says. The time came for the baby to be born. All right, that's excellent. Verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Not a surprise. The angel had said, you'll have a son. She's ready with a name. All of this is so far going to script. And then it says, um, she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger. And right there is the first hint that something has gone terribly wrong. Now, it's not the word clothes, uh, although the clothing that they would have actually wrapped Jesus in was pretty unique. Uh, on, on Sunday, next Sunday, we're not meeting as a church. We want people to have time with their families. But that morning, Sunday morning, we're actually going to release a video on our website, probably on Facebook too, that you can use that morning as a family as a little devotional. And it's going to talk about the clothes that they wrapped Jesus in and the shepherds that um, just learned some more stuff about maybe the who the shepherds were in this story. And I, I hope you'll take advantage of that and go and check it out um, because it'll help you refocus that morning on why we actually celebrate. Uh, but it wasn't the clothes that were the problem. It's the word manger. The word manger would have set off some warning bells. What in the world would a baby be doing in a manger? And then you get the rest of the verse in verse 7 and you know something is not right. It says this, 
because there was no guest room available for them. That room, guest room, uh, is actually the word cataluma. Uh, Cataluma is used several times in the New Testament. It's used consistently every time. And because it's used consistently every time, there's there's one option that we have for this. It's not a hotel. It's not some inn. It's not some stable for the hotel. None of that. This is in a home. This is in a home. And to understand this, you have to understand how they built the homes. Um, I had understood one construction uh, this last year. Uh, I was exposed to a different type of construction. I want to show you both to them because they both have some impact on this story. And it matters where Jesus ends up being born, okay? So here's the first type of home that could have been in the Bethlehem area. I'm going to put it on the side screens. Um, It's kind of blown open there so you can see inside the cave. But they could have and, and did put caves in the side of the mountains there. It was a very rocky, hilly area. Everything is rock over there. Um, and there would have been a small door. It wouldn't have been this big opening that you would have gone through. And right there, you can look inside. There's the big section where those pillars are. That would have been the first main room. And that's where the family lived. You ate there. You slept there. You hung out with friends there. You, you entertained there. That was the life of that Um, family. Now, uh, there would have been a second compartment. You can see where it kind of narrows there. No, no, go back. Yeah. Um, If you go behind there, there's a second compartment inside that cave uh, where you would have maybe stored some stuff. Uh, Occasionally, you would cook food there. Often, you did that outside. Um, But you could have done that, and it was called the Cataluma. And that second part of the cave was placed there for you to entertain guests. They would sleep there if you had somebody over. Why would they sleep there? Because they were more safe, they were halfway through the cave, and it would be warmer there. So you took care of your guests by giving them a more favored place. It was considered the guest room, the Cataluma, okay? Now there's a third compartment of this cave. It's past the Cataluma, and it's deeper, and it's, um, it could be bigger or smaller depending on how much you owned But when it was evening or cold during the winter, you would bring your animals in and you would put them in the third part of the cave in the back. They would, yes, relieve themselves there and it would be a little messy and smelly. But you did that because you would get the body heat off of those animals that would also help you have a warmer cave. So this was was a pretty common setup, one kind of one, two, three kind of thing. Now there was a different kind of structure And I I had a graphic, it was beautiful, and it got messed up getting transported over. Let's go to the next slide, and I'll just try to explain because it looks like a big white, yeah, it does. Um, It would have been a big square, and off to the side, there would have been a little strip. They They would have put a door in, and they would have had storage there, and they would have put guests in that Cataluma along the strip of that house. Now, um, again, life happens in the main part of this house. You eat there, you sleep there, you have friends over. Everything happens in this one big room. They had a great room before great rooms were popular, right? They had it. Now, over here in the corner, there would have been um, uh, a stairway that they would have carved into the rock beneath them. And you would walk down the stairs into a cave, and below the house, you would put your animals you would store them there, and um, if you go to Bethlehem right now and you want to see where they celebrate where Jesus is born, the Church of the Nativity 
is built over a hole in the ground that looks just like this. And you walk down into a cave, and they're going to show you, they're going to have it marked with a big star on the ground. Go ahead to the next slide. And they're going to say, that's where Jesus was born. And you're, you're in a cave below the building. Now, both of these are places where you would not put people. In fact, it's really odd that this would happen because the culture of Jesus' day cared more about hospitality than you and I do. In fact, it wasn't just personal for them. Their whole community was involved. You would keep this room open in your home called Cataluma for family, friends, and strangers. If a stranger would come to your town, you would house them, and the whole community would rally to make sure that you had enough food, that you had enough bedding, that you had enough to take care of this person because their reputations as a hospitable community was on the line. And so everybody got involved. So let me think about this. Maybe, maybe you could consider it this way. It's December 23rd. People are on the road headed back to see their families for Christmas. And a major snowstorm hits our area, dumping four inches an hour. It's serious, right? And who knows? This could, it could happen. There's an accident right, right by the Middlebury exit on one side and right on the other side. Two accidents that stop traffic. And traffic backs up all the way to South Bend on one side, and traffic backs up all the way to the state line on the other side. And they're having a hard time getting stuff there to clean off the, the roads. And the police finally look around. It is snowing, 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 and they say, it's time to close this thing down. In fact, we're going to declare a state of emergency, and nobody's allowed to drive. And so they start directing people down the road of 13 and all the thousands of people start pouring in. They fill up all the hotels. They drive over to Elkhart. They start filling up those hotels. People don't know that the road's closed. You know, the road's moving again. They're like, finally, we can get to home. And they get here, and they're on 13. And a call goes out to the residents of Elkhart County. Will you take in people on Christmas Eve, Eve, right? And you're scratching your head. Because your families come in for Christmas, right? Your family is there, and all of your beds are full. But we rally, right? There's no way we're going to let people be out in that. And so we say, yes, send somebody to my house. And just my luck, the couple who walks into my house, she's eight months pregnant, right? And I'm scratching my head now. I'm like, all my beds are full? Wait, I have an idea. I can have her sleep in the garage with the dogs, right? Why do you laugh at that? Because we'd never do that, right? You would never consider that. You, you would go, okay, listen, we're going to shuffle it around. I don't know what you would do. This is what we would do. I would, we would move out of our bed. Tracy and I would go sleep on the couches. We'd give our kids who were home our room. We'd let them sleep on the floor, on the bed, and we'd give the pregnant lady a bed next to a bathroom, right? Isn't that, is that what you would do, right? You would suck it up for a little while. Listen, Mary and Joseph are not strangers. They're family. 
And they just got put in the garage with the dogs. Now, maybe you would do that. I mean, maybe your garage looks like this. Maybe you, maybe, maybe it's a lounge out there with a coolest, cleanest garage with 30 dogs that I've ever seen. And you're like, what's wrong with a garage with dogs, right? But most of us, it's not like that. It's gross. And it's cold. And it would smell. And that's exactly where Mary and Joseph end up. And there's only one reason why. Because she was pledged not married, and expecting. And the whole community, by the way, this just wasn't one family, the whole community decided that the place for her was in the place with all the animals. Nobody was going to step up and say, hey, maybe we should move this around. She goes into labor pains and nobody says, hey, maybe, maybe we should get the Cataluma out for her. No, she needs to stay down in that cave or in the back of this cave and deal with her situation. And they were about shaming her for the circumstance that she was in. Now, here's the problem. Uh, this wasn't just going to be a short-term thing. I, I mean, initially, there was a whole bunch of shame where she would have been rejected by, she's rejected by everyone Joseph's whole family, who's looking out for this honorable guy, are now looking down on her. And I can tell you, I've, n I've never experienced that. I've never felt that before. I was, uh, I was talking to my wife about this because I I'd remembered conversations with her where she had felt that way uh, growing up. And so I just I started to pick at the scab a little bit because I, I just wanted to remember some of the stuff that she had talked about. And uh, she had assumed uh, that when she was young, because their family was poorer than the rest of the family, that uh, they didn't want to associate with them. And she said, it always felt like there was a wall between my, my extended family and our family. We would go for Christmas. I would look at the Christmas gifts that everybody else would get. And uh, my grandma would come, barely talk to us, and give us a small gift. She goes, I, I felt lonely all the time. I didn't know what we had done. I didn't know what we had said, and, um, and I remember when she was 30, we, we went to her, uh, her grandmother's funeral, and at the funeral, every one of her nieces and nephews participated in the funeral in some way, and Tracy and her siblings didn't. There wasn't a thing, and the light went off, and she goes, man, I wonder, I wonder if, if this was because we were Protestant. We were the only Protestant family, and it was a large Catholic family, and I wonder if we felt that sense of rejection because of that. And so I remember having that conversation with her a long time ago about that sort of thing. So I'm picking away at that. And uh, she decided to call her mom and ask her mom more about this. And, and her mom said this, I think uh, your dad's family was open to it. But I was a young Christian back then, and I went to some churches that were really conservative, and they convinced me that Catholic people were bad people. And so I built the wall between us and that family. And uh, Tracy was, like, rocked. Like, she felt the rejection. She didn't know where it came from. 
can I tell you, Jesus would have felt the rejection and he would have known where it came from. They would have made sure that he was the image of her shame. He was the reason. And this would have extended for years because they weren't just shaming her in the moment. This would have extended for a long period of time and she would not have been accepted. And Jesus would have been in the same boat. He entered into a family that was in chaos because of the situation, the circumstance that God had asked Mary to fulfill with her life. Here's the truth. I've come to believe that every family is a mess. I don't care who you are. It's at different levels, at different stages, at different times. Maybe there's a season where things go really well. And you wonder, why can't it be like this forever? And it never is, right? There's always, there's always something. And people are so tempted to look around and go, I wish I could join that family because they're perfect. And all it is is you don't know. Because one of the things that we do as family is we protect each other. And so we don't air all the dirty laundry. And so you don't see it. And so it looks good, looks perfect even. It's just not. And, and I don't know how many conversations I've had with people that have this, that have this kind of thread kind of at the bottom of it, especially at this time of year. Like, what am I going to do? I didn't get to choose my family, right? I have to go and love these people, and they're a complete mess. I have a weird uncle. Why does every family have a weird uncle, Right? You know exactly what I'm talking. You know, I realized this week, thinking about this, I'm the weird uncle. <laughs> I was like, oh, stink, man. And then I was like, wait, I'm going to be the best weird uncle there's ever been, right? So I'm going to push it. Now that I know my role, I'm good with that. But, but every family has this. You, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And the question is, hey, we're supposed to get together. And it's supposed to be about love, joy, peace, hope. And with many of these people, I don't feel like they ever gave me a home. I don't feel like I've been accepted. I don't feel like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to go to these things with a sense of joy? Can I give you this, just this little piece? Why don't you... Take Jesus with you because he's already been through it himself. He's already experienced that sense of rejection. He already figured out. See, he chose option two. Option two was despite the circumstances, he had a sense of peace. He knew his mission. He knew he had come to a family that was in chaos. And instead of it shaping and disrupting his life, he brought a sense of hope. Not just to that family, but to the world. And here's the reality. He still wants to do that with you. He understands your family. He understands the chaos that erupts at times. And he's not intimidated and he's not afraid of it. In fact, he'd like to step into it with you. He'd like you to be somebody who represents that peace, that love, that joy 
that hope that nobody else might experience. Well, how do you do that? You, you ask God to be present with you and you take him into every one of those situations knowing that he knows what this feels like and you are not alone. And your steps forward go with confidence. And instead of love never finding a home, you realize that Jesus provides that for you and because of that, there is a sense of confidence at the core of who you are that allows you to be the bearer of love, the bearer of peace, the bearer of joy, the bearer of hope in a world that's out of control. See, I, I kind of don't think our situations are very different these days. I think there's spiritual chaos out there. I think there's chaos in our world right now. There are angry, bitter people about all kinds of things. And our families, they're, they're a mess. And all of those are opportunities for us to practice what Christmas is all about. A God who looked down with love at a chaotic situation and said, I'm in. I want to I come into that. I want to bring what I have into that and change it. And he wants to do that for you right now. Will you invite him to be present with you? As it gets chaotic and stressful with all the things you have to do, as it gets weird with the uncle, will you ask him to be present so that people would see this Jesus who came to change everything? I hope that's your choice. Let me pray with you. God, we sometimes think that Jesus had it easy. He was son of God. He's got all the advantages. And yet he came into a situation where he would feel rejected, be rejected, and yet not let it shape how he saw the world and what he would do. God, I know there are people here during the holidays feeling like uh, they don't have a home right now. They don't have a place where they're accepted, loved, and understood. And I ask that they would turn to you. God, would they have the courage to grab onto you and understand that you love them, you accept them, that you want to place at the center of who they are a sense of joy and peace that they can't experience any other way. And God, when, with that sense of hope, ask you would help them to step into their family, step into their world, step into the spiritual chaos around us with confidence that, that they have a God who loves them, has made them right between God and themselves, and it makes all the difference in the world. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us so much that you give us the ability to change our story moving forward. I ask you to fill our Christmas with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys would stand with us and join us in this last song.
trust you. We trust you. Your ways are higher than ours. We trust you. We trust you. Your ways are higher than our own. Our hope is in you, Father, and you alone, Jesus. Strength in your mighty name. You're our peace in our darkest days. Lord, I pray that's something that's on our mind as we go through this week. That you came to give us hope, supply us with purpose. And we thank you for that, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we are, um, as your, your children, we are joyful in your coming, in the representation of what this season means, Lord. And that joy would be passed on to those that don't know you. Our lives would be just shining with your hope. Use us as your hands and feet, God, as we go out this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray.